Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden, and uh, this podcast got uh, a little bit thrown into the uh, the wash, but it's okay. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get through it. It's an emergency edition of the podcast. The plan was to have um, Josh Kendall from The Athletic on to discuss his trip to Indianapolis for the combine, break it all down, all of that big news. Still the plan. Um, just going to have an extra episode this week. So stay tuned for that. The football season might be over. Man, that's a bummer of a way to start an ad read, right? <laughs> But basketball season is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V to get started. And guys, it's not just basketball. You know, that that's what they wanted me uh, to say up top, but it's not just basketball. Bet online is also your source if you're in hockey, boxing, UFC odds. The Olympics wrapped up, but they had uh, some odds for that as well. So it's the best in the business, guys. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. It really is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. So remember, guys, bet online where the game starts. The reason everything kind of got thrown into chaos is Calvin Ridley has been suspended by the NFL for the 2022 season. Um, what? That's crazy. <laughs> so he was apparently um, discovered to have been gambling on a few games or a parlay, I guess, up to uh, eight games, according to reports. But the Falcons were one of those teams um, involved in the parlay. And yeah, you know, somebody who worked for an NFL team for four years, I can say they really do uh, not look favorably upon um, people who work for that organization for the league gambling. Um, and I know that gambling has become a bigger, bigger, bigger part of the cash cow for the league. You know, they, they are looking to generate revenue in any way, shape and form. And a lot of that is going towards gambling. I mean, trust me, I was I was in a lot of meetings throughout my time and we talked about how can we incorporate gambling in, in some way, shape or form, either through content, through um, in-game services, mobily, stuff like that. So it's something that the NFL is actively embracing and looking to make profit from. There's a big, big line in players and coaches and members of the organization who are privy to sensitive information like me using that information. And, and let me say right here, Calvin Ridley, there was nothing that determined that he used any inappropriate information, any inside information to, you know, uh, influence the game in any way, shape or form. Nobody with the Falcons organization, players, coaches, personnel, front office, any of that um, was found to have had knowledge of Calvin Ridley betting um, while he was away for mental health reasons from the team uh, in November 
is when it was discovered that he was gambling. And it should be said that the it was uncovered through the sports books and uh, a partnership that the NFL has with kind of like a watchdog organization that uncovered that that Calvin Ridley had placed a bet and alerted the NFL. Um, the NFL approached Calvin Ridley. He apparently was was very you know forthright, admitted what he did, w- sat down for interviews pretty immediately. Um, they notified the team in February, and the Falcons have uh, essentially declined in good faith to deal Calvin Ridley, even though we've all been speculating for the past several months um, about Calvin Ridley's future, whether or not it was in Atlanta or elsewhere and what they might get back in return. The Falcons, knowing what they knew and that a punishment was probably coming down, just kind of declined to move him. And I I really applaud the team for that. Not, you know, you'd burn all the bridges essentially in the league if, if they had decided to trade Calvin Ridley and then it came out that they knew what they knew. Um, so, you know, from a business standpoint, it's probably smart that they did not just destroy every relationship that they have across the league, but still it's, it's good to know that, you know, even though they could have, yeah, potentially gotten much more for Calvin Ridley than they might now, um, that you would assume that this depresses his trade value. Although, you know, if, if a player's going to help you win at the end of the day, teams, teams are a little bit more willing to, uh, turn a blind eye to some things that happen. Um, but that's besides the point. Calvin Ridley gone for the 2022 season. Uh, so let's talk about it. I mean, there are a number of implications that this has for the Falcons um, and for Calvin Ridley. I mean, it's he came into the league in 2018 and was 24 years old. So he is 27 right now. Um, will turn 28 in December meaning he's going to be 28 the next time that the Falcons uh, or the next time that he's eligible to play in the NFL. And he's still going to be on his rookie deal because that 11 million, that final fifth year that the Falcons picked up is now kind of moving over to the 2023 season. That's an old ass rookie. Um, And he'll be, he'll turn 29 in that 2023 season. So the the trade value part for Calvin is going to be very interesting. Um, you know, whether or not this makes him more inclined to return to Atlanta is one thing. But in the short term, in the immediate uh, draft offseason approach, wide receiver now becomes a huge, huge hole for this organization. And I'll get to it in, in a little bit, just how the draft lines up. But right now you've got Russell Gage, who, <laughs> I mean, whew. What a what a journey for Russell Gage. Drafted, um, I believe, fifth or sixth round. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't I can't totally recall, but definitely day three. As kind of a special teams guy, I remember having a conversation um, with Brian Kearns, who friend of the pod, but trying to figure out exactly what the heck position uh, I should list for Russell Gage when I was writing the story as he got drafted. Um, and it, it, people had speculated whether or not he was going to be a punt returner, a kick returner. Uh, he was certainly going to be a special teams kind of ace. That's what he was at LSU, but he had never really returned kicks or punts. So I was trying to figure out what do we list this guy as? Turns out he's a damn good receiver. Um, and every kind of step of the way, he's just been given more and more responsibility. You know, Mohamed Sanu was traded in part because it allowed Russell Gage to get some more reps and the Falcons felt like he was ready to step into that role and that there was value to be had for Muhammad Sanu in the form of a second round pick that they got. And then they turned that into Hayden Hurst. And so, you know, there you go. But then Julio Jones gets traded. Russell Gage, all of a sudden kind of in a number two spot. 
on top of that, the year before, Julio Jones hurt for most of the year. So Russell Gage kind of by proxy of, of that injury gets thrown into a number two, comes back this year, kind of a de facto number one because Calvin Ridley sits out for most of the year. Now he's a free agent. Whether or not another team looks at him and says, hey, there's some real potential here. If we make him, you know, a, a 1B or something in our scheme, we like what he brings. Or maybe it's Russell Gage's chance to go to a winner and kind of say, like, I can pick and choose my spot here. I've seen the situation in Atlanta. Let me go somewhere else and, and chase a ring. Um, but I think that the Falcons are now going to really, really prioritize bringing Russell Gage back because when he did return from his own injury at the end of last season, he went on a tear at the end of the year. He's a really good player. He's a really smart guy. I've enjoyed every conversation I've ever had with Russell Gage. A little shy. Um, uh, then again, it's been a, a couple of years since I talked to him, so he was he was much younger in the league and and less proven. Um, but I like Russell Gage a lot, and I would be very interested in somebody in in them looking to bring him back. If they don't, the Falcons are in a real real tough situation at wide receiver. Obviously, they know that. Obviously, Terry Fontenot is aware. Um, and, and like I said, the team was notified, made aware of this situation uh, about a month ago. Um, I'm recording this March 7th. Uh, reportedly, February 9th was kind of the, the day that they um, found all of that out. So they have had a plan for this, or they've been at least able to work towards one. Um, the draft, it's funny because the wide receivers are one of the, the few positions that I've already dug into. I've watched about eight or nine of the wide receiver prospects. It's, there's not a, a Jamar Chase, like a Jalen Waddle, um, kind of that, that top tier guy in this class. I think Drake London or Garrett Wilson are kind of the consensus uh, number one, depending on who you would ask. Um, Chris Olave has risen up boards based on his combine performance. You, everybody also knows Jameson Williams, although I, I don't know if he's getting that number one talk. But interestingly, the real strength, I think, of this receiver group is the second and third rounds. And that's where you're going to get guys like Sky Moore. Um, you know, we saw Christian Watson kind of pop this, this past uh, week at the combine. Different guys like that are some of the players that I, I think that the Falcons could look at if they don't decide to go wide receiver now at number eight. And that's part of the consideration, I guess now, because like we all were debating, wondering what would happen if the Falcons move off, moved on from, from Calvin Ridley. But there was also still that chance that everything and the hope, I guess that everything could get worked out and that Calvin Ridley comes back. You've got the guy that you thought was going to be your number one wide receiver for the next, you know, five years at least. And Everything is is hunky dory. Um, that's not the case. I would love for them to look at a guy like George Pickens. Yes, I know the injury concerns. I'm a Georgia fan, so I like trust me. I all the downsides. I understand George Pickens. The, his ceiling is as high as anybody in this class. Uh, and again, I've I've watched a lot of the top receivers in this group. I, I mean, he's got legitimate wide receiver one potential, and there's so much value to be had there with maybe your your second second round pick that they've got. So George Pickens, Sky Moore, um, you know, I, I think somebody like uh, Justin Ross, even though I'm, I'm not as high on him, but um, that type of player, maybe they double up in the second round, two second round picks, two wide receivers like that is now, I think, in the conversation for Atlanta. The other the flip side of this is 
if they're able to maybe land a guy like Harold Landry or, or one of their priority edge rushers in free agency, because, oh, by the way, you know, Calvin Ridley's $11 million is off the books. So they went immediately from being 7 million roughly over the cap to, to now about like 4 million under the cap. They have a lot more work to do in that area, but it helps, you know, you know, it, every little bit for the Falcons now helps if they're able to get enough of an offer together to land maybe one of the top tier edge rushers in this draft or in this uh, free agent class, does that now make them more inclined to number eight to say, all right, we think Garrett Wilson is a special talent or Drake London is the next Mike Evans. And and we need to go get him shore up this wide receiver one position um, and, and just kind of approach it that way could be, could be done. I have, kind of felt that the best approach maybe for Atlanta would be to double up the pass rusher here and go with try to get your guy in free agency or get a, uh, you know, maybe a one-year, two-year guy like that Dwight Freeney contract. Um, somebody who may be able to give a little bit more production than than Dwight Freeney was in, in 2016, but that type of model, get them in there and then double down with somebody, uh, you know, like a, a Jermaine Johnson in the draft at number eight. Um, or Cameron Thomas, who I'm super high on. Number eight's probably high for him based on consensus, but go watch his tape. I, I love Cameron Thomas um, a lot. That would have been interesting to me, is, is kind of pair a top, top draft pick with, um, with a veteran who maybe still has a little bit of juice left in him. But now that wide receiver is, is up there. Things change. The calculus is a little bit different. And if anything, I think this hurts a position more like offensive line or cornerback. Those seemed like spots where if the Falcons kind of did everything that they wanted to do, both in free agency and maybe in the, the early parts of the draft, I wouldn't have been shocked if, if they used one of their second round picks on like another corner or, you know, to, took even like one of these offensive tackles at number eight. Like I wouldn't have been shocked at that because it makes sense. It is a need, even though the Falcons... You know, Terry Fondo has said time and time again, we're going best player available. You know, you address your needs through free agency. The Falcons have so many needs that like it's kind of throw a dart at a dartboard. It's going to hit a need at some point. Um, and the the offensive line group, especially at the top end of the draft, is really, really good that I could have seen them going in that route. But now wide receiver kind of leapfrogs both corner and offensive line, in my opinion. Um, and you got to get somebody, especially like the reason you like Matt Ryan still is because he's a good passer of the football. It's because he's a good quarterback. It's because he's able to operate and maximize the guys around him, even though he largely never gets credit for being able to do that, which is a weird thing that I will continue to die on this hill is like, when hasn't Matt Ryan made everybody else around him better? Like that's, that's what he does. He doesn't, he has not worked with the very, very best forever. Julio Jones, you know, was not always on the field. And even when he was, he was getting the most out of any other person that, that is around him. That's another uh, tangent for another time. He's going to need some guys to throw to. He's not a miracle worker. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, we, we saw what he could do with Russell Gage at the end of the season last year, but you need guys at least of Russell Gage's caliber. Um, and so that is where this becomes a little bit dicier, in my opinion, is... You know, can you get four receiver deep with guys who are, you know, really capable of of not just matching what they did last year, but 
the goal is to elevate, right? Like seven and 10 was a good first season, but that was the first season. Year two, we're expecting a step forward. And yes, everybody should be coming at it with now the gained insight and context of Calvin Ridley out for the year. So they're not going to have that weapon, but they didn't have that weapon for most of last year. And they still managed seven wins. So people are going to have that expectation now. They can't go into the season with, uh, you know, right now they've got Frank Darby, who is the one player uh, who's currently under contract, who was on the 53-man roster last year. Like, that's one guy. They're Alameda Zacchaeus, potential free agent. Christian Blake, free agent. Tajay Sharp, free agent. All of these guys who have been filling out the Falcons' depth could all potentially be gone. And that's not even to mention the, the starters. I mean, four years ago, we were looking at Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage, all in the same wide receiver room. That's a really good four. And, and in the span of, of a few years, we're down to potentially none of those guys being on this team. So it's a huge, huge deal for the uh, 2022 Falcons. The only, I guess, silver lining to this is the, the salary cap relief that they would get and that they had about a month heads up on um, everybody else figuring it out on it becoming public to reevaluate their draft boards, to kind of talk to guys. I mean, at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine, figure things out and maybe reorient their list um, a little bit. And so those, uh, like that, that's obviously big for this team is because they're going to need, I mean, I do not envy Terry Fondo and Arthur Smith one bit. Like, Think about it. They came, we're all sitting here trying to talk about Matt Ryan, what's his future, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, guys, Matt Ryan is like item Z on the list of fires that we got to put out right now. Like he is doing everything we've asked of him. Sure, his cap number is high, but like that's not something that we did. That's not something that we really can control. It is what it is. Have you seen all of the other monsters coming out of this closet right now? Because we got to deal with that. I mean, it, the, the Julio stuff last year, Calvin Ridley um, during the season now, now, uh, and like, I, I'm really interested. I was very interested to see this off season and this free agency because, you know, working with a group for a year, you get a much, much better sense of, you know, somebody on a, on a Thursday in November and, you know, you're, you've got a losing record. Do they still show up? Do they still put the work in all of that stuff? Like you just, you can't get that insight on a, on a first meeting <laughs> interview like that, that you're going to get somebody's a game that first time they meet you. But it's really when you see them at their lowest that you understand, all right, can, can I actually win with this person or are they going to check out? Are they going to prioritize other things? So I was already very, very curious, invested, um, about this off season. Now, like we're going to figure out how good Terry Fondo is at something that I believe is really, really hard and that I believe he is already very, very good at. Now it's just going to be a question of, is he the best damn evaluator of overlooked talent in this league? You know, he, that's what he really made his bones on in New Orleans was identifying some guys who maybe didn't work elsewhere because like that's the thing that, that we as fans always talk ourselves into, right? It's... Uh, Cordero Patterson is a bad example because he did break out with this team, but he is the perfect example for that point. You sit there and you say, all right, well, yeah, he hasn't worked out somewhere else, but our guys are going to be able to get the most out of him." Coaches around the league, like it's more rare that a coach is special than, than the reverse. 
right? Like, it, it, if one team didn't figure out how to make the most out of them, you know, another team isn't necessarily just automatically going to, like, get a better player or figure out how to make the player better because they're a new team. But that's a thing that every fan likes to talk about, think about with their team. is like, well, when he gets here, it'll be different. Historically, Terry Fontenot has found guys who have been different once they landed uh, in New Orleans previously. And it should be noted that that was mostly on the defensive side of the ball. So you could sit there and say, well, Sean Payton, all of that stuff, Drew Brees. No, it's guys like Demario Davis, um, it, the safety group that he continued to put together year over year with with some free agents like Terry Fontenot has been really good at finding some guys who maybe the other teams in the league slightly underrate. Therefore, the value is going to be there. He's already done it once with Cordero Patterson. A wide receiver is a position that I think is a little bit closer to running back on that free agency scale. It's certainly not corner. It's certainly not edge rusher. You're going to be able to get, you know, you're not going to get Devonte Adams, but I don't think anybody is because why would Green Bay let him leave? You're going to be able to, to get a decent player, I think, at a decent price because wide receivers are just flooding into the league. Yeah, you know, like every single year, there's a draft class with multiple first round receivers, many, many day two receivers and day three receivers who flash and pop and, and are able to make the, the league and, and become stars in their own right. So it, it's a position where there's a lot of supply. There is a lot of demand. There's a lot of supply. And so I think that this is actually a ripe group for Terry Fontenot, maybe to get some of that bargain hunting, see the, the inefficiencies in the league, figure out exactly what Arthur Smith needs to work with and moneyball this thing, baby, and figure out, all right, we need traits. We need some guy who can do this really well. It doesn't matter if he does, you know, things three, four, five, and six on our list. If he can do one and two to the level that we need him to do it, hey, I can make that work. And he fits exactly into this design that we have for this archetype. I think that they can make that happen. And if they do, you know, I don't know if that's going to raise my opinion of them because I generally try to give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt. I try to look at, you know, the way I approach everything football is try to look at it from the team standpoint. I try to put myself in the shoes of the decision makers and a lot of what Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith have done so far I kind of agree with. So uh, there's already a pretty high level of trust on my end to them. If they if they hit this, then that's awesome. And I kind of expect them to do that. If they don't, you know, it'll change some things for me. But uh, I'm also a, a guy who's willing to give a, a second and third chance because I get that this league is a, is a really, really, really damn hard. And if people were really good at it, then it wouldn't be as fun or interesting, frankly. So, you know, I, this is a crap hand that the Falcons have been dealt. Um, but let's pivot a little bit before we get to the next part um, of this podcast. Talk about Calvin um, for a split second, because this does not mean that he does not have mental, mental health issues. You know, th- this does not in any way, shape or form mean that, that he was lying, mean that he was just trying to look for a way to get away from the team because he wasn't committed or he wasn't motivated or whatever. There's like these two things are two separate things that we can discuss separately, you know, because in any status of mental health, in any form, we all wake up and have mental health from, from somebody who is on the lowest end of that spectrum to somebody who is on the highest end of that spectrum. 
we're all influenced every single day by our mental health. Are we motivated? Are we going to get the day? Are we waking up and we're sad? And you know, it's just going to be a really, just a bad day. You know, man, like we, I've had bad days. I have bad days all the time. I have great days all the time. Whatever I'm kind of mood that I'm in, in some way, shape or form, that's dictated by my mental health. But I still have to go live through that day. I still have to go to my job. I still have to go get groceries. I still have to go walk the dog. I have to do the things that I want to do. So intrinsically, you can never separate yourself from your mental health, but you are still interacting with the world and choosing, you know, making choices. This was a bad choice on Calvin Ridley's part because he understood probably the repercussions, but I can also understand that he is a human being living in a society that is becoming ever more focused on gambling. I mean, hell, this podcast is presented to you by Bet Online. This is something that is really, really kind of penetrating our society. It's something that's fun to talk about. I've got friends, you know, all the time that will hit me up and just say, hey, like, what do you think of this week's game? It's something I enjoy doing. You know, I don't partake in gambling myself, but I get the attraction. I play fantasy football. Like, that's a form of gambling. So I understand why somebody would maybe say, like, yeah, I'm not around the team every single day. Like, I'm not necessarily a part of this. I don't know anything. Calvin was had tweeted and said, like, I wasn't even watching football at that time. I, I get why, you know, he might just want to see what that's about. He should have known better because players know better. Coaches know better. That was a bad mistake on his part. But that doesn't mean that the mental health stuff is real. And, and it doesn't mean that we can't still be sympathetic to the person while understanding that he made a bad decision. And this doesn't now make him a villain. It doesn't now make him Pete Rose. Like it, it just was a mistake made by somebody who should have known better. I've had the privilege of talking to Calvin Ridley. I've had the privilege of seeing him interact with other people. I was there when he came into the building for the very first time after being drafted. He had braces on, guys. Like this was a kid who had just graduated college and was fulfilling the dream of his life. His, his family was there. Everybody was smiling. It, he, was, he was just a kid getting to fulfill his dream. And that was really, really cool to witness and a cherished memory that I will always have. And so, you know, I, like Calvin is not somebody who I think is manipulative. I, th I think he's genuine. I think he just made a couple of bad decisions. And I, I think that he's trying to, to focus on the right stuff. Um, but most importantly, you know, I, I just, I hope that he's doing okay. You know, like I, he's, He's been getting a little bit more active on Twitter. Um, that's his right. He's that's it's his choice to make. I, I don't know if I would do that, but I've also been in situations where it's sometimes it feels like you owe maybe necessarily an explanation to people publicly. Like you, you do have followers on that platform and you'd like to think that those followers are supportive of you. And you'd like to think that those followers, you know, that you can talk to them in, in a measured way or put something out there um, and, and get your own message out. I don't know if now is the best time for him to be doing that, but I can't say that, that he's wrong for doing that because ultimately it's his choice, just like this was, just like it was a bad choice. Um, and now he's going to have to deal with the consequences. And so are the Falcons. Uh, but it, it looks like, you know, they, they have no choice, <laughs> but really, frankly, to figure out a way to move on from this. Um, who knows? what the future will hold for Calvin and the Falcons. It kind of seems hard to believe that, that he's back with the team after this. Um, who knows if, if a trade is still even possible, viable on the table, like could a team, 
you know, it was reported earlier in the day, the Patriots, the Browns were among the inquiring teams asking about Calvin Ridley. Could a trade still be put together to send Calvin to New England? Would New England say, hey, look, you know, I, I know that they, once you're suspended, I believe in, in this case, like Calvin can't interact with the organization, can't, you know, have any time in the building, things like that. So saying we're going to trade for him and then get him in here and coach him and let him work with us for a year and then we'll have him on the field like that. That's not a thing that will be allowed. But could a could a team like New England say, all right, we just want to have control over this asset. We want to have this player in our organization for the future, even though that's not 2022. So here's our trade offer and, and do the Falcons just, you know, pull the trigger on that and, and make it happen. Who knows? Um, but the most important thing is that Calvin Ridley will not be on the field for Atlanta, um, barring any type of appeal and then uh, a crazy overturning of, of, I guess this ruling on behalf of the league and, and Roger Goodell, like, don't think that's going to happen. So Calvin Ridley not going to be out on the field for Atlanta in 2022. It sucks. You know, I, I was kind of expecting that that would be the case just because I thought that Atlanta would probably move him. It, you know, if this new regime didn't draft him, the Arthur Smith, Terry Fondo, I'm sure they like Calvin. I'm sure that they had a great first interaction with him. Um, they coached him for five games. So th- there's obviously some relationship there, but they're not beholden to him. And if he wants to be somewhere else, Arthur Blank is the type of owner that, you know, would accommodate that request and, and want to do what's best for the player. So I was always kind of like holding out this this belief that he probably wasn't going to be playing for the Falcons anyway in 2022. Now that that's confirmed, though, it it just sucks, man. Like. Julio Jones last offseason, Calvin Ridley, this this uh, this offseason. Like somebody put Kyle Pitts in in protective services, like get him off that boat with Justin Fields. I need him in a, in a safe house in flowery branch for the next 12 years, frankly. Um, so that's, that's where it is. What you're going to hear next. It's going to be a little bit, uh, a very me centric podcast today. Sorry about that. I, I plan on getting OV back hopefully next week. Like I said, uh, you'll, you'll get another podcast from us this week with uh, Josh Kendall talking about the Calvin Ridley news from his perspective and uh, all of his experiences at the combine. But I did record a, uh, a cold open for that podcast with Josh and going to just, uh, just kind of play it here. Now <laughs> at the back end, it's, it's a little bit of my thoughts on Matt Ryan, what um, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot had to say about Matt Ryan. Um, so you're going to get, that right now um after this break and yeah that'll that'll be it um so sorry it's a little bit of a of a disorienting podcast a little bit jankier than than we usually try to do but hey um when breaking news happens all you can do is adjust and and go with the flow and uh react to what life throws at you so thank you guys for listening um here's me I just want to um, touch on a little bit of news that that we learned at the Combine. And again, I mentioned the Combine is a weird um, event. Obviously, we all know it publicly as the time when draft prospects, college prospects, get a chance to work out in front of NFL teams and increasingly in front of fans, which is really weird. I don't know who uh, I don't know who is paying money to go to Indianapolis to watch guys run around in um, Under Armour. But 
hey, if that's if that's something you're interested in. I remember as a kid, I used to watch the 40 yard dash and then I would sit there um, and uh, basically practice running the 40 yard dash. I would sit there and, and kind of get into a three point stance and uh, imagine my takeoff and all that stuff. So, look, I get it. Uh, but having been there covering it professionally, it's a little bit weird when you uh, are, are not six years old watching NFL Network uh, the year that it airs. So it's it's a big just like dog and pony show there. There's podiums set up around some podiums. Yeah, I remember Marlon Davidson, Cam Akers, these guys who were big name players, Arden Key, uh, the, the top guys of the draft have 30 people in front of their podium. And then you look to your right, 40 feet, and there's a podium with some dude out of at North Dakota State, you know, no shout to the uh, Jackrabbits, great program. But, you know, you, you just see somebody who doesn't have anybody in front of them. And, and maybe you sit there and, and you kind of say, all right, well, I'm going to go check out this guy. And you start asking them questions. Sorry, the bison, not, not the Jackrabbits. Uh, I believe Jackrabbits are maybe South Dakota State as I'm sitting here Googling while podcasting. This is, yeah, the Jackrabbits, South Dakota State. Sorry uh, to all my Dakota listeners out there. Boy, that was great podcasting. Um, yeah, so you look to your your right, like 40 yards, and, and there's some dude who has nobody in front of him. And and you walk over and you maybe want to strike up a conversation. For me, I was usually like, hey, have you talked to the Falcons? Cool, thanks. I'm going to walk over here now. Um, but you quickly realize you have no idea what to ask these people. You don't know anything about them. You're just there because they're here hoping to get a spot in the NFL one day, and they've got 15 minutes to stand up here and let you ask them questions. Which is why, kind of like the Super Bowl, you just get some really, really random questions. Sometimes it's a great opportunity for the prospect to showcase their personality, to maybe get some interest where they may not otherwise get it. The media is a great way to do that. But most importantly, they're here to talk to coaches and scouts. And the Falcons are now letting Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, not letting, you know, they're deciding to let their scouts, let their front office people interact with all of these draft prospects. But the Combine reportedly has been the opportunity now for Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith to sit in rooms for 20 minutes with these prospects, really get to understand their mental makeup, understand if they want them to be part of their locker room, because that is the most important part of this Combine process. Yes, if you run a fast 40, obviously, it's going to open up a lot of eyes. Obviously, you're going to get a lot of attention. But they want to see you sit there and break down film. They want to give you a, a marker and let you go up to the whiteboard and diagram a play. That is what the coaches and the scouts really care about. And then outside of that, like I said, it's a gigantic convention center where these guys are just talking for a whole week because they have nothing better to do. They're going to go to St. Elmo's Steakhouse. They're going to get the greatest steak that I've ever had. And then they're going to have a conversation. And they're going to talk about where's Aaron Rodgers going to go? Is Matt Ryan available? What do we think is happening with Calvin Ridley? Like, <laughs> that's just what NFL people talk about throughout this entire week. So I want to mention that the the Matt Ryan news because and we'll get into this a little bit later in more detail with Josh. But briefly, Arthur Smith, I mean, walked it back as soon as he said it, but he did say the words, you know, we anticipate Matt Ryan being a part of this team. Um, he He immediately followed that up with, if somebody gives us a godfather offer, you never know. We don't want to back ourselves into a corner. But you get the sense, and increasingly, I feel like I'm getting the sense that they like Matt Ryan. And why not? You know, he's, he's a good quarterback. He's still a really good quarterback. He failed to hit 4,000 yards for the fourth time, or yeah, fourth time in his career. First time since 2010. 
All right. So the first three years of his career back in 2008, 2009, 2010, when the league was not where it is now in terms of passing, he, he didn't hit 4,000 yards. He didn't hit 4,000 yards this past year. Got damn near close to doing it. But you could also make the argument that he had his, his worst group of surrounding skill players that he's maybe ever had. And that's no slight to the guys who are out there. But look, Tajay Sharp, he's not, uh, you know, even a 2013 Roddy White. Like that, that's, they're not, they're not comparable. Harry Douglas, Russell Gage, sure. But Russell Gage was hurt for most of the year. So I think that Matt, in, in a new scheme, not new, but like his first year with Arthur Smith, and yes, there's some similarities between what Kyle Shanahan ran, what Steve Sarkeesian ran, and what Arthur Smith is running. But it's still new nomenclature. It's still, you know, some of the biggest frustrations I think I saw out of Matt Ryan this season were with getting the play call in in time to allow him to relay that in the huddle, get up to the line of scrimmage and make calls and diagnose the defense and then change the call if needed. Matt wants to do that. I think the most visible moments of frustration that I saw with him this season were when he was yelling at the sideline to basically get the play in. Let me know what we have to do so I can go to work with enough time to do that. I actually really appreciate that because Matt probably looks around, sees a guy like Jalen Mayfield. He's got a certain level of expectation with a rookie. He's willing to probably accept a little bit more bumps along the way from somebody in their first season versus a head coach in the NFL or an offensive play caller in the NFL. He's saying, you know, guys, get me the play call in. I'm holding you to a higher standard. And I think somebody like Arthur Smith appreciates the hell out of that. Obviously, I don't want to talk for him. I don't know him. You know, I, I like I've, I've talked to him once. So this is all speculation, but I've been around it enough to kind of be able to read some of the signs. And Arthur Smith is really no nonsense. Terry Fondo strikes me as very no nonsense. Like they are going to kind of not shoot straight because if anything, you know, like I, I don't think they've been very forthcoming or revealing, but that's fine. That's part of their job. But I, I think they're kind of no bullshit. They're going to call it the way that it is. And for them to say, look, you know, we, we expect Matt Ryan to be here. We anticipate Matt Ryan to be here is the right call to me. We saw Jason Lock and Fora. And personally, I take some of his stuff with a grain of salt because he's been wrong. And, you know, being wrong in this business is, is a big deal. Um, so he's been wrong before. But he tweeted out that he's hearing that inquiring teams are, are getting the, quote, distinct impression that Matt Ryan will not be dealt, end quote. So again, just more signs kind of pointing to Matt Ryan coming back. Yes, he's got a $48.7 million cap hit, which will be the biggest in NFL history. Um, but his dead cap is like $40 million. <laughs> So it's, it's kind of like the Falcons are saddled with this regardless. Um, they they are going to have a big number on their books for 2022 with Matt Ryan's name next to it. Why not get the benefits of having Matt Ryan on this team? And I know some people are ready to just turn the page. It's been five years now, Jesus, since the Falcons went to the playoffs. I will still contest. And I went back yesterday and I looked at it. Matt Ryan's 2018 numbers are insane. Like third best of his career easily. Maybe second best. Yeah, you could quibble with 2012 because that was kind of the first time that he really made a run at MVP type of numbers. He was never going to get there with Peyton Manning and Adrian Peterson just coming off of the injuries that they had and, and the seasons they put up. But his 2018 was right there with 2016. And if the Falcons had not been just decimated defensively, I really, really felt coming into that season 
that they had the chance to be the best Falcons team that we'd seen. I mean, in a long, long time, maybe since like 1998, like they had that level of talent, young guys who were entering their prime. Everything was coalescing and then it all really fell apart. So that's not that long ago. 2018, 2017, that's not that long. And we've seen guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. These guys have played into their 40s. I mean, late 30s, at least. Matt Ryan's 36. Like that's that's old. I'm not I'm not ready to break out the wheelchair for Matt Ryan. I'm not feeling sorry for him. He's taking a lot of hits, but he keeps coming back and he keeps his body in great shape. He does the stuff that he has to do because he's a professional. And I think that the Falcons realize our best chance to win sooner rather than later is to keep Matt Ryan in place. Because if you've got a problem at the quarterback position, you don't really have a path forward. They don't have a problem at the quarterback position. They have a financial problem at the quarterback position, but that's very different. And it would make all the sense of the world if their thought process is let's build everything up around Matt Ryan for the next couple of years. We've got something at the quarterback position. We feel we can work with Arthur Smith is coming from Ryan Tannehill. And this is not a shot at Ryan Tannehill, but like he understands a well-balanced team is maybe a better approach than a superstar quarterback and trying to figure it out there. So I think the Falcons are ultimately right. If they decide to stick with Matt Ryan, That doesn't mean that they can't go out and draft a quarterback. That doesn't mean that they can't look for somebody to develop. But given their financial restrictions and given kind of the the lack of talent surrounding Matt Ryan, I don't think they do that. I don't think that they spend the, the eighth pick on a Malik Willis, right? Because they need that eighth pick to come in right now and make an impact because they've got somebody at quarterback. Now they need to get other guys on this roster around Matt Ryan, and that will give them ultimately, I think, the best chance to be successful in 2022. And right now, that's all that matters because every offseason, things can change. Every season, things can change. The Bengals went from one of the worst teams to going to the Super Bowl. Uh, And yes, they drafted a quarterback. Yes, Joe Burrow emerging. Jamar Chase emerging. Played a huge role in that. But, But Matt Ryan's capable of doing what Joe Burrow did this season. Maybe not the scrambling part. Maybe not some of the pull it out of your ass plays. But like on a play to play basis, Matt Ryan can do a lot of what Joe Burrow can do throwing the football. Now you need to get the guys around him. And that is where I think the Falcons focus is right now. That's where I think it should be. Let's not worry about Matt Ryan. Let's worry about getting guys that he can throw the football to getting guys in front of him to protect and more importantly, getting guys who can get after the opposing quarterback. So let's go get some pass rushers. Let's get some wide receivers. And let's stop worrying about Matt Ryan, because I don't think the Falcons are. So that's my, my bit about Matt Ryan. I deserve to, or I reserve the right to take all of that back um, the minute that they trade him. But that's uh, for another podcast. All right, guys, thank you for uh, sticking with me throughout today's um, somewhat discombobulated podcast. But hey, that's out of our hands in the sports news business. Um, So like I said, please stay tuned uh, for a bonus episode this week coming uh, in a couple of days with Josh Kendall talking about the NFL Combine, everything you learn there. I'm so excited to get into, uh, you know, the Falcons may not draft Georgia players, but we are certainly okay with talking about Georgia players here on this podcast. Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, um, you know, Zamir White, all of these guys had just fantastic combines. Um, and I'm really interested to get Josh's perspective having been there. Uh, cause it seems like the dogs came to, uh, to play in Indy and maybe the Falcons could use one of those guys on their roster. So 
That conversation will be coming a little bit later in the week. Stay tuned for that. As always, today's podcast was presented by Bet Online. Um, Ovi will be coming back sometime in the uh, very near future. And I'm really, really excited to catch up with him, get his thoughts on everything that's gone down. Got to talk to him about Calvin Ridley um, as a former player, kind of learn his his thoughts on on the gambling stuff. So that will be very interesting. Please let uh, everybody know where they can find us, which is Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Um, but most importantly, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.